0: So I haven't been here in a while. How many here know who I am? Maybe show hands. Those of you who don't, my name is Jeff Winters. I pastor a church in uh, in Pennsylvania. Uh, Chris and I are good friends. We go all the way back to college, and it's always a privilege for me to come and uh, and and share this platform. Um, so thank you so much for the invitation, everybody. Now we're looking at a new year. Uh, let's listen to Tim just kind of talk about the new year and possibilities and so forth. How many of you do New Year's resolutions? Do you do those? I think some people, you know, we kind of, maybe not officially, but we kind of loosely kind of think about it. My New Year's resolution this year is to keep my New Year's resolutions. So I think I'm going to do pretty good this year. I'm not sure, but, uh, but we all do that, don't we? Try to lose a few pounds, stop a bad habit, stop smoking, or, you know, it's kind of whatever. Try to try to you know, it's, a, it's kind of you have a fresh start. Uh, that's the way Tim talked about it, and I like that. It's a good time to do those kind of things. So, one of the hardest things to do as a as a as a pastor, you go to speak somewhere. I'd much rather come in in the middle of a series and Chris give me a topic and you know just kind of talk about that, and and that works out well for me. But to come in and not have any, there's no context, just kind of a one off kind of message. You know, it's kind of hard. So I thought. Uh, you know, tomorrow being New Year's Eve and New Year's resolutions, I thought I would talk about uh, maybe uh, something that we can all think about through this year, and that is making a New Year's resolution to uh, in our in our attitudes, like maybe try to uh, have an attitude that of Christ. And so there's a scripture that we're going to use as kind of a uh, kind of a launching pad. That's Philippians two five, and it says this: Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Well, that's that's pretty big, isn't it? Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus. Well, it's not you know. A lot of times we we say things like, uh, "Well, you know, Jesus was God, and you know, He could do those things, but I'm I'm human and I can't." Let's let's just think about you know Jesus' humanity as well. He was. He he was just like you and I, and he had the same uh, the same uh, access to God that we have, access to the Holy Spirit that we have to help us in our life. And so I think if if Paul's saying here your attitude should be the same as that of Christ, then I think it's possible. I really do. So for a few minutes here, we're going to talk about attitude. Chuck Swindoll said this, and I I would tend to agree with him. He said he said I'm convinced that life is ten percent what happens to me, and 90% of how I react to it. you agree with that? 10% of what happens to me, and 90% of how I react to it. And so it's with us, you and I. See, here's the truth, is that we are in charge of our own attitude. Attitude is a, is a, is a, a choice that we make. You know, we decide how we're going to... Uh, how are we going to respond? So we're going to be looking at some of the things that Paul says in this uh, in his book to the Philippian church. Now, a little bit, just a little bit of background. I know background can be boring sometimes, but it's kind of important to know. Paul wrote this letter to the Philippian church, uh, and we'll talk about the reasons why he wrote it in a minute. But he wrote it from a Roman uh, jail. He wrote it from a Roman prison. It's probably a probably a, like a, a hole in the ground, kind of like a, he was dropped down into. It, it was probably cold uh, and damp. <clears throat> and from there, he writes this letter to the Philippian church. And if you know much about the Philippian church, uh, or know much about the book of Philippians, it's one of the most uh, like joyful books that uh, Paul had written. Matter of fact, he uses the word joy more often in that book than, than any other thing that he wrote. So let's talk about uh, Philippi for a minute. Philippi uh, is a provincial Roman city. Uh, Mark Anthony uh, had many of his uh, soldiers that were kind of kind of stationed there in Philippi. So Philippi was a, had a very strong uh, Roman culture, and uh, and the ways in Philippi were very much Roman ways. So I I, I tell you that to let you know that there was a lot of pressure on the church in Philippi. Um, And then, you know, from outside, a lot of cultural pressure, societal pressure on the church. You know, not not too much different from today. And then also within the church, there was a problem in the church between uh, a couple of women. Uh, Their names are Eudia and Syntica. I think that's how you pronounce their names. I thought Chris would maybe pick one of those two names. What beautiful names, huh? For a for a girl. And uh, I I, off, I also offered to him Jeffrina. Isn't that a beautiful name? I mean, you don't hear that too often. I said this is unique, and uh they didn't they didn't go with that, so I'm not exactly sure why. But anyway, so Paul Paul's writing to this Philippian church, right? And there's these two women, Eudia and Syntica, and there and there's a problem between them, and this problem is uh, he understands this problem is growing, and what Paul's worried about, I think, what every pastor worries about is when there's issues like that in the church, is that if they're not dealt with, if they're not taken care of, what happens? Well, they tend to fester, right? They tend to kind of get get uh, uh, kind of spread throughout the church. Even what happens? Somebody takes you know Syntica's side, and someone takes Eudia's side, and right, and there it begins this this division starts happening in the church. Aren't you thankful that that kind of stuff doesn't happen today? Yeah. And so there's a potential, let's face it, there's a potential for the church to be divided. So, so here, here's, the, here's the deal. Here's like the, uh, what this letter is about. This letter is about trying to, um, trying to uh, promote an attitude adjustment in the church. First off, for these two ladies, right, an attitude adjustment. That's what they need. Uh, but not just for them, for the whole church. Because let's face it, you know, sides get to be taken, right? Uh, I know there's some issues that go on in all churches, and whether it's a family or, or between two families. And, you know, and each of those families have their own friends and so forth. And so there gets to be this divide. And so, and so Paul wants to kind of nip this in the bud right away. But I think it's also for us today. Um, think about your own life for a minute. Is there anybody in your life that today that you're having trouble with? Maybe it's somebody at work. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a boss. I don't know. Maybe it's even, maybe it is even someone in church. But there's someone who, who you have, uh, and try to be honest with yourself, that's one of the hardest things to do, right? Uh, who you have developed an attitude with an attitude with. And you know what I'm talking about when I say attitude. How many watched uh, Christmas movies over the holidays? You watch them? How many like the the Santa Claus movies? Remember the one Santa Claus movies where the elf comes to break him out of jail? And he says, we're your worst nightmare. Right? Elves with attitude. We don't know what we're talking about when we say that, right? Attitude. Is there someone that that, that, you, that when you see them, when you see them, you only see them or, or frame them in the context of the, of the issue, the dispute, the problem that you're having. You know, it's interesting to me how, how you can have a relationship with somebody and, uh, through many years, right? And they know you to be a certain way. And this is, this, is, this is a side note, okay? This is for us to, I want you to tuck this away somewhere and then something happens right you know them to be a, a kind person a generous person a good friend and then something happens they do something that you uh, it upsets you and it's maybe it even feels against you are you with me so far and then and then you base you base your relationship with them from that point on based on that one issue here's a piece of advice think about remember the way you know them to be. You know them to be, maybe you've known them for years, you've known them to be kind and considerate and, and a good friend and always there for you. And, and this thing is an anomaly. It's not like them. Don't, don't base everything from that point on based on that one thing. You wouldn't want anybody to do that to you, would you? Right? Anybody, anybody ever have a bad day? Ever have a bad day? Uh, Michelle and I were, were watching a movie the other day it was, it was one of these Christmas movies, right? And, and in the movie, uh, this, 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 this woman in the movie, she's having some issues that no one knows about, and she kind of like, uh, you know, is uh, having a bad day or whatever, right? And, and the guy just kind of, you know, they have this rift, and she ends up leaving and everything, and Michelle's like, you know, can't, can't, can't they understand? Can't they understand it's just a bad day or whatever? I looked at her, and I go, it, kind of like you and me, right, Michelle? I mean, because we don't know what the other one's going through. And we, we and we have a tendency to judge based on this one thing. So here's what I want to talk about. Because it's bigger than just these two women in this church. It's, it's bigger than even just your issue that you might have with somebody. And that is this, talking about how is my attitude? How is my attitude? So the first thing I want to do is talk about two issues that have to do with attitude. And the first thing is this. Uh, ask yourself, what is my, what's my motivation? What's my motivation? We're going to unpack this a little bit. In other words, uh, in your relationship with somebody, what drives you? Paul writes in his letter this, in Philippians 2, 3, and 4. He says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. So we need to unpack this a little bit, okay? Let's look first at selfish ambition. Usually, selfish ambition, the reward for a bad motivation is usually money. So let me. the best way for me to talk about this is chickens. Anybody own chickens? Anybody here raise chickens? Anybody? A couple people. I, I, I raise chickens for a time. Let me just talk about chickens just for a minute because... Uh, they, are, they are amazing creatures, and they, have, they, they order their society, uh, their little chicken society, in, in a certain way. Anybody know what that's called? Anyone know what it's called? It's called a pecking order. It really is. That's where we get that term from. And so that's the way they order their society is pecking order. Now, here's the thing about a pecking order. Life is good if you are where? At the top of the pecking order. If you're not at the top of the pecking order, uh, life isn't all that great. It's not so good to be at the bottom. So if you're a strong chicken, that's good. But God forbid if you're a strong chicken and you ever get sick and something happens to you because uh, they are going to be ruthless to you. Uh, chickens are Chickens are very much cannibalistic. And so I found this out when I raised chickens. I started out, I had a, a dozen chickens and it didn't take too long for the weakest chicken to be killed by the other ones so I began to think you know what am i going to do because there's always going to be a uh, bottom chicken isn't there and so if they keep killing off the bottom chicken pretty soon you're going to be left with one chicken right and so they come up with these different things so there's a product especially when chickens see blood when they see blood they are they are ruthless and they they go after the blood and they'll and they'll peck the chicken to death so there's a product that you can buy. It's called Peck No More. You can buy it on the internet. Really. And you take it and you put it on their wound or whatever, and it's supposed to stop them from, from doing it. Well, as I was looking up this product, I found something else really interesting. Um, and that was back in the 1930s, a man came up with an idea that he would fit, I kid you not, he would fit all his chickens with glasses. You don't believe me. I brought a video. Let's watch the video. It's a short video. Colfax, Washington. Cure for pulpit cannibalism. Chickens love red blood. If one cuts herself, the plot promptly pecks her to death. The cure? Spectacles. Rose-colored glasses to neutralize the sight of blood. Harsh Kincaid fits his entire flock, 4,000 hens, with these barnyard bifocals, and saves five chickens out of every hundred. Oh, there you are, Mr. K. For feeding, they look under the hinged lenses. But for looking straight ahead at other chickens, they get the stoplight. After a fitting and a pep talk, each bird becomes a good neighbor with a rosier outlook. It's a whole new world for the girls. Everybody looks like they've just had a henna ring. Yep, we are in the pink. But darned if I'm going to lay red eggs for you this Easter. I just love the chicken glasses. Apparently, they didn't catch on because, you, you know, I don't see any chickens wearing glasses today. Here's the thing. Pecking order is not just for chickens, is it? Pecking order isn't just for chickens. It's kind of, if you think about it, it's kind of the way our world works, doesn't it? It's kind of the way it works. It is good to be at the top. Well, the Roman world worked the exactly the same way, a pecking order. Your rank your status. They were everything. Cicero wrote this, rank must be preserved. What do you think his rank was? He was at top, wasn't he? Cicero. So in the Roman world, you were identified, you were identified by things. Uh, If you remember watching Animal House when they had their party, what were they wearing? Togas, remember? Right? I said, I was talking to my boys about this and they said, animal what? It's an animal house. They had no idea what I was talking about. But they wore togas. Not only did they wear togas, a Roman citizen wore a toga. But also they wore sashes, and the sashes indicated your rank, your status. And slaves would be at the bottom. So the next thing he talks about is, is vain conceit. So the reward here is usually fame or popularity. Another way that we, uh, the ordering of society. Another way to say this might be this, this way, is empty glory. So, the pecking order isn't just reinforced by outward appearance, right? It is reinforced by that. And, and we see that today, too, in our culture, right? Reinforced by outward appearance, pecking order. Wouldn't you agree? By, by uh, what's our status today? Maybe maybe the houses that we live in, the vehicles that we drive, the clothes that we wear, much like the Romans. And so it's important for us to remember this, that attitude, our attitude, affects our behavior. And we all, we all get attitude, right? Um, as a matter of fact, uh, every parent at one time or another has said to their kids, hey, you watch that attitude, right? We've all said that to our kids. We know exactly what we're talking about. They're taking a, a tone with us. So attitude affects behavior. Let me, let, me, let me ask you something or, or kind of get you to think about something. Next time that you are in a group, right, uh, when you go in that group, ask yourself a couple questions. Uh, who gets in, in your group of friends or, or wherever it is, whether it's colleagues, or who gets to dominate the discussion? Right? Who gets to dominate? Or another way to ask it is this, who gets to interrupt who? Hey, it's interesting, I, a, couple, a couple of my friends, I have a friend down in Florida, and he, uh, he owns a couple of businesses, and, and he's kind of a, he, he designs things, he ends up cutting and welding uh, his company, so he's designed torch tips and so forth, and, and I introduced him to another friend of mine in Ohio, who is a patent attorney, and so they kind of got together, and you know, so my friend Roger, who's a patent attorney, does some work for Jeff down in Florida, and he has some patents with him, and so forth, and so I was talking to my friend Roger one day, and he had to uh, have a meeting over an issue with one of his companies, right and they were in this meeting, and there were a bunch of people sitting around the table there were there were lawyers, there were engineers, there were all these people right and so roger is uh, he's a uh, electrical engineer he's a uh, you know, he's a lawyer, and so he's doing a lot of the talking, discussing this issue that happened and everything, and and, and, and there's some other engineers giving this feedback, and, and so one of the things Roger always, you know, thought to himself was, you know, you want to try to be the smartest person in the room, right? And so he's at this table, and he's discussing this, and after a good long time of discussion, finally my friend Jeff speaks up, he's been quiet this whole time. And he speaks up and he said, Well, let me let me explain a few things to you. And he began to explain uh, how this, this product worked, how it was supposed to work, all this stuff. And my friend Roger sat back and he said to me, mm, that he's the smartest person in the room. But isn't it true? We we do that. We 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 evaluate and we look and we when we go into a situation, and we want to be that person. We're always trying to get the upper hand. So Paul says something amazing. It's always bothered me, to be honest with you. Uh, It's always bothered me because I I guess because as a younger man I didn't understand the word. He says this He says, In humility, consider others first. So there's another translation, and that's the one that kind of stumbled me a little bit. It said this uh, In humility, consider others better than yourself. I used to have trouble with that, thinking, Really? Is that what we're supposed to do? Philippians 2 5 and 6 go back to it, says this. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. What does grasp mean? Well, one way, of, one way of putting it is to, uh, to take hold of a prize. Another translation, it won't be up on the board, but the 2011 edition, maybe they do have that one, it said this, who, being very nature God, did not consider equality with God Something to be used to his own advantage. And that's, that's kind of what we think about Jesus, I think, sometimes. And that's our, that's our, our, our escape mechanism, right? Is that while well, Jesus used his deity to his own advantage to be the way he was in the world, don't we? Let's be honest, right? Well, He used his, I'm not God, he is God, and so sure he could be that way. But this scripture tells us this, is that he did not do that. He did not do that. He didn't use it to his own advantage. And so we always want the advantage, don't we? If you or I had that, I'm sure that every one of us would use it uh, every chance we got. Do You ever watch, we uh, would be like uh, uh, Bruce Almighty, wouldn't we? Right? If you had those abilities, you would use all of it for your advantage. Well, this scripture tell us, tells us Jesus did not do that. And he's our example and he's our role model. And so that's why I wanted us to look at this. So, so motivation, what's your motivation? Why is it that you behave the way you do? Now, something for you to ask yourself. I can't, I can't ask that. I can't talk about that for you. You have to ask yourself, what is my motivation? Why do I do the things that I do when I'm, when I'm in a situation? And the second thing is this, and, and it's interesting because Tim talked about this when he was uh, talking about Orchard Grove. He talked about mission. The second thing is, what, what is my core mission? Do you have a core mission in life? Why is it that you, that you do the things you do? Why do you do the things you do? Because mission, your mission, your, your why, will fuel your motive, your motivations. So it's important for you if you say, well, I I really don't know. I don't know. I don't really have a a mission. I don't really know why I, I, I exist. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. What was the motivation and the mission of these people? Um, it was the pecking order. They wanted to always get ahead. You think about it. What did the what did the Jews in the time of Jesus? What were they thinking? What did they what did they expect from Jesus? They expected Jesus to come in and and, and write the pecking order. Hey, we're God's people, right? We're God's people, and Jesus is going to come, and once and for all, he's going to overthrow Rome. They're at the top of the pecking order, and he's going to write that, and what we're going to do, he's going to put us at the top of the pecking order. When all along, Jesus came to do what? To destroy the pecking order once and for all, didn't he? He came to do away with the pecking order. So the question becomes this. How do you and I... How do we live out the attitude of Jesus? Paul in Philippians 2, 7 and 8, he said this. This is about Jesus. Rather, he made himself nothing. Let me just stop right there for a minute. Not high on our list, is it? Make ourselves nothing. No, no, no. We, no, no. we want to make ourselves everything. We want to make ourselves the, look as good as we can, be as high as we can. He said he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of, of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on the cross. See, friends, he, he came to bring us life. John 10:10 says this. It says, "Jesus came to give us life in its most abundant form." Now, listen, we, we, have to, we have to get this. We have to understand. Jesus came uh, for different reasons, right? But one of the things, it says he came to give us life in its most abundant form. So he came to show us what it means to really be human and how to live that life. He came to bring us life by by destroying the pecking order, ironically, that killed him. The pecking order is what did it. So let's unpack this text just a little bit, okay? The first attitude of Jesus, we know, is humility. Is humility. It says this, he made himself nothing. Jesus himself tells us this in Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29. He says this, take my yoke upon you and learn from you. You know what a yoke was? A yoke was a rabbi's teaching, right? A yoke. So uh, you could have a couple different rabbis, and each one would would, would unpack, like, let's say, uh, keep the Sabbath holy. One, one rabbi might say, well, that means you can't do uh, this kind of physical activity. And another one will say, uh, that means you can't walk further than, you know, two miles or something. That was what known as their yoke, their yoke. So he says this, take my yoke, take my teaching on you and learn from me. Then he says this, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And then he says something that, that, that I long for. It says that you will find rest for your soul. I hope you long for that as well. Soul rest. But how do we get soul rest? By taking his yoke, his teaching on us to learn from him. He said because he's, he's gentle. When people use that to describe you, I'm afraid that people wouldn't use that word to describe me. I don't think if somebody, if you would ask somebody, would you tell tell us about Jeff? I don't think gentle would be on the top ten list. Or even humble. But they don't know me. I'm I'm a super humble. I think I'm the most humble guy in my church, actually. I hope my church is watching right now. Um, Here's the trouble with this. In our culture... In our culture, especially with men, I, I have a really good friend. He played football for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He's he's one of my closest friends in life. He's he's six foot four. He says he's two hundred thirty five pounds. He, I'm two hundred thirty five pounds. He's much bigger than I am. He'll he'll swear to it though. But anyway, we 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 joke about this. We talk about manhood, right? And he jokes about a man code. And one of the things he says is, "Listen, it's not it's not manly to drink out of a straw, right?" He said, you see, the a face you have to make. He's like, this, trying to find the straw and everything. So we joke about this, but the truth is this. The truth is, especially with men, humility is not something that we, that we value, is it, as men? It's not something that we, we promote. Now, here's the thing. So, so it can get confusing sometimes. Because I think that we have confused humility, listen to me, humility with low self-esteem. And that's not the case. Maybe you've heard it put this way before, but I want I to tell it to you again. Humility isn't thinking less of yourself. That's low self-esteem. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. You know what humility is? Thinking of yourself less. Thinking of yourself less. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know what addictions you have. But I have an addiction I'm gonna, I want to let you know about it this morning. My addiction is self-addiction. I'm addicted to myself. I wake up in the morning thinking about me, thinking about my day, thinking about what I'm going to do, how it's going to go. And so recently, let me tell you about my life just recently. I know I have only a couple minutes left, but just recently my, my aunt had uh, uh, cancer surgery. She had a lobe removed of her lung. She, you know, she was scared, afraid for this. We were in the hospital with her. Everything went well. My, my brother, at the same time, a 61 years old, found out he has cancer. And just recently, before I came here, they found a spot on his liver that it's moved to his liver now, too, my 61-year-old brother. My son, Brock, you all know Brock. He, a couple weeks ago, he's fine, but he, he totaled Michelle's car. Not only did that happen, we got a rental car and Michelle was driving the rental car and she wrecked the rental car. Now listen, my aunt had cancer, not me. My brother is facing the same diagnosis, not me. My son was in the car accident, not me. Michelle wrecked the rental car, not me. But you know what? Throughout all that, you know the only thing I could think of? How all those things affected who? Called narcissism. I don't want to be like that. I, I, I don't want to look at everything like that and say, "How does it affect me?" I want to, I want to, I want to grow, and I want my attitude to change and be that of Jesus, and be and be humble, and think of myself less. Consider others first. How do they feel, and Michelle? I, I was telling somebody about this. Michelle goes, "You know, you don't even think about how any of this affects me." And I thought. You know, you're right. I haven't. I haven't. I can't get my own self out of my own mind. But I want to. I want to be like Jesus. I want my attitude to change. I want to take his yoke upon me. And I want to learn from him. I want to be gentle. And I want to be humble. The second thing is this. So the first one is humility. The second thing is servanthood. He said, taking on the very nature of a servant. How was Jesus adorned? How, what, what did he wear? Well, from the very beginnings, it was humble, wasn't it? It was meager. He didn't come, even though he was ultimate royalty, he didn't come dressed as royalty, did he? Matter of fact, we just celebrated Christmas, and he was wrapped in just this cloth as a baby. The slave attire he was wearing, not of nobility. John 13, 3-5 says this, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under His power and that He had come from God and was returning to God. So He got up from a meal, took off His clothes, outer clothing, wrapped the towel around His waist. After that, He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around Him. And then Jesus called called them together and said this, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high uh, officials exercise authority over them. Not with you, he says, telling his disciples. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. What was Jesus saying? The way of the world is the pecking order. I'm going to paraphrase this, okay? The way of the world is the pecking order Jesus is saying. And then he says this, but not so with you. Not so with you. Don't live that way. And then last thing is three is sacrificial love. It says he became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Let me just read this this text to you and then we'll, we'll close. Therefore, as God's chosen people, that's us. That's us. Holy and dearly loved. Clothe yourself with compassion. In other, in other words, empathize with others. I didn't have compassion on Michelle. I was too busy thinking about my own self. I, I, so, so busy thinking about my own, my own self, I couldn't empathize with what she was going through. Clothe yourself with compassion. Kindness. Listen, be nice. Just be nice. Today, when you go place, when you go shopping, when you go get, get whatever, just be nice. Humility. Gentleness. Patience. Bear with each other. Forget. Bear with each other. What does that mean? Listen, when, when, when somebody does something against you, you think it's against you, right? Just, just, just be patient. Bear with them. You don't know what they're going through. And forgive one another. If you have any grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, Tim Tim said it in his prayer, over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together. Friends, I I hope that 2019, I hope it's going to be a great year for you. I, I, I always say this in my church, and I believe it. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. I believe that for you as well. I believe that for your church. I believe that for you personally. The best is yet to come. Let's, let's put on the same attitude as that of Christ in 2019.